A little bit of background about Nick and Megan. So they're in their early 30s. They've been married for six years and um, graduated from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in 2006 with an English degree. Okay, all right. And then about five years, uh, Nick was the college pastor at Calvary Chapel San Luis Obispo and also a worship leader there. And then they left there and went back to uh, Philadelphia, where Nick has been pursuing his MDiv, Masters of Divinity, at Westminster Theological Seminary, graduating in May. And so, uh, as you know, the pastoral team has been going through a long process. We've looked at over 140 uh, resumes, and then we came down to like four guys we were looking at really closely. And then when we did a video conference with Nick, as we talked afterwards and prayed, we felt like we need to bring Nick out here. So we can get some face-to-face time with him and his wife, and so that he can get some face-to-face time with us, so that so that he and his wife can get a sense of okay, this is what it would be, so God can speak to them, yes or no, and so that then God can speak to us as well. And so we've given them a busy weekend. They came out Thursday night. Uh, Megan has family in Sacramento, so that's where the girls are right now. Okay, and then last so Friday night, Nick was there with the Lynn's home group and the Greg's home group, and then yesterday morning, Ian and I had breakfast with him because uh, he was staying at, at the Greg's house. And then we had a lunch yesterday with all the home group leaders. For a couple of hours, we just grilled them, and they grilled us. It was, a, it was an amazing time at the ship's house. We had just a really sweet time together, so encouraging, so strengthening to our faith. And then Jan and I had coffee with them afterwards, and then once we had completely exhausted them, um, we let them go and celebrate Valentine's and have, have a nice dinner together and stay at a hotel last night. So... Um, and then after we're finished here, there will be a lunch, you know, if you, if you want to go get your lunch over to Namas, but they'll be there, and we're going to kind of do a speed dating thing, okay? So they're going to be at a table, and then every five minutes we'll say, switch, and then you can you know, move your lunch over and, and, and get a chance to talk with them. But, so if you've already had a chance to meet with them, so like home group leaders, we had a couple hours yesterday, Lynn's and Greg's home group, you guys had time with them Friday night, you guys don't get to do the speed dating thing, Okay. We want to especially give room for those who have not had a chance to really sit down and talk with them yet. So that's the plan. Now, in your bulletin, you see a feedback form, and um, we would really prefer if you would do that online. That would help us very much. By the way, junior hires, would you please fill that out also? You are part of the church, okay? So high schoolers, junior hires, please. We want your feedback as well. Um, but we would really prefer it online if you could. And, uh, but if you don't have access to, on, to doing it online, then go ahead and fill it out, hard copy here, and give it to one of the home group leaders. We would like all of those to be done by tomorrow night at the latest, please. Okay, I think that's everything I wanted to, to mention. So now, let's like put out of your mind the fact that, you know, like, we want to hear the word of God from Nick this morning. All right? So put all the other issues out of your mind. Just say, Lord, come and speak to us. He's been in the Word. He's a man of the Word. That's one of the reasons we've asked him to come and and preach and and candidate here. And let's ask God to speak to us today. So we're walking away. The main thing we're walking away with is what the Word of God said to us this morning through through Nick's preaching. Amen. So let's have Nick come on up and uh, let's welcome him. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. It has been a, a very busy weekend but it's been a, a lot of fun um you guys are you guys are an inc- incredible group of people um and even when you're trying to be intimidating <laughs> even when they've been grilling me and giving me a hard time um i told them yesterday i still see through it there's still so much love there and, and not not too much intimidation uh it's been it's been wonderful but i will tell you yes it's true yesterday by the time we were done with all this our idea of uh Valentine's Day dinner was to get takeout, lay on the bed in the hotel, and crash at about nine. So that, that was it for us. Uh, it was romantic enough. Hopefully you guys had a good time as well. Um, I, I'm amazed that I'm here. I, I uh, count it such a privilege when he says, oh yeah, we looked at 140 applicants and, and listened to all their sermons and all these things. I'm just blown away that I'm sitting here in this, this front row and then I'm up here getting to talk to you guys. So I did want to start by just saying thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, and if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I would love to um, speed date you after, <laughs> after this service, okay? Um, 
With that being said, I, I, I got a lot for us. So I better keep an eye on the time. I want to get right into the Word. Um, let's go. So, matter of fact, as, we, as you open your Bibles up to uh, Acts 20, and look down to verse 17, you can also take that little form out and mark down, was it based on the Word? Yes. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's just take that one by one. Yes. Jeez, I've never done this before. <laughs> you know what? Thank you. That's helpful. And I got my iPhone here, so we should be good. Um, Acts 20, verse 17 is where we're going to be at. Now, just a little background on this before we read it. Paul's at the close of his third and final missionary journey. And he's resolved in the spirit, it says in Acts 19, to go to Jerusalem. And he hopes from there to see Rome. He's in a hurry to uh, get to Jerusalem for the the time of the Feast of of Pentecost. So he he sails past Ephesus to Miletus. And um, he still has an apostolic concern for the church there in Ephesus, though he's in a hurry. So he calls the elders of that church to meet him in Miletus, and that's where we're at here in verse 17. So let's read it, and then I'll pray if that's okay with you, and we'll, we'll get into, the, into the, the message this morning. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Drop down to verse 36 with me. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Would you pray with me, guys? Jesus, just like Steve exhorted us, it's my great desire this morning that you would be seen. It's obvious by the songs 
song at the beginning of this service and worship to you that this is a church centered on Christ, centered on the cross. And we want to press into you this morning afresh. I know that you're here in our midst, Lord. And I know that you're on the move in our lives. And so I'm praying, would you let me get out of the way and would you do your work in your people as you seek to pour out, to lavish upon them your grace administered through the preaching of your word and accompanied by the power of your spirit. We ask these things here in Jesus' name. Amen. It was um, a little over a month ago. I was sitting at my table in Philadelphia. I think it was about 8, 9 o'clock, something like that. There's a three-hour time difference there. And um, I'm pulling up Google Hangouts to get on online with um, the leaders of this church and do a, do a little conference interview thing. And as we're all kind of pulling up the screens and I'm trying to sit there, pretend like I'm not ready to wet myself, acting cool. <laughs> Steve begins, like a good pastor, like a good man of God, by quoting from this text, verse 28, about the Holy Spirit being the one that makes people overseers of the church. And he prayed for us and for our time. And from that Moment, uh, as things began to unfold, and I, you know, heard back and realized that I would have an opportunity to preach um, here before you this morning. As I was thinking about how can I best serve this community, God, what kind of word would you give me that even if I only get one one Lord's Day with them, it would bless them in some way where they're at, meet them there. I kept coming back to this scene, this story with Paul and the elders of Ephesus. And I kept coming back there because I, I saw so many parallels between what's happening there with Paul and what's happening here with you. And I don't want to press the parallels too far. Uh, I'm not in any way saying that the Holy Spirit has indicated that for them in Abu Dhabi there's going to be you know, imprisonments and afflictions awaiting them. And I sure as heck hope that I'm not going to be the wolf that rises up among you and teaches false doctrine. But regardless, there are significant parallels. You can just sum it up by saying this. There is a beloved leader in the Apostle Paul, a long-standing leader. Three years he was with them. And he's leaving. He's resolved to leave and never to see their face again. Now that, again, is hopefully not the case here, but there's departure of a beloved leader. And as I was thinking about what you guys must be going through, I just thought, you know what, in fact, even up front, as we were doing a little meet and greet, there's uh, one of the members here that was just tearing up because this is hard to say goodbye to a guy and, and, his, and his wife that have served and loved you for 25 years in this community. And I, I thought, you know, gosh, if I were in this church, I'd, I'd be tempted to feel unstable. I'd be tempted to feel unsure. What's coming next for this church? What does God have in store? And so I thought, you know, it would be cool if I could come in and somehow help help in a way show how the story of Mercy Hill and even our own personal narratives connect to the unfolding story, the, the even grander story of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in this world. So that's my hope and that's where we're going. Um, I want to set up the trajectory of this sermon by asking a question of our text, okay? Why is Paul saying goodbye? Why? He's found a community there in Ephesus with this church that it at least seems like we would all long to be a part of. 
there's affection. I mean, when you go to the end of, of the text that I read and you're seeing them kneeling down and praying, you're seeing them embracing, you're seeing them weeping, you're seeing them even kissing. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't think you should kiss Steve. But you're seeing this affection. You're seeing this love. You're seeing this community. You say, why is he going? Paul's resolved to leave a community we all would long to be a part of. To be known and loved. And then the question, why is he going, becomes even more significant when we contrast what he has there in Ephesus with where he's going and what awaits him in Jerusalem and in Rome. We know that afflictions and persecution and imprisonment and even the chain of events that would lead to his death are waiting for him there in Jerusalem. And so at this point, when you see the contrast of what he has with where he's going, the question is thrown into utter clarity. Why? Why would he do this? Would you do this? Would you leave that for this? Why is Paul saying goodbye? Answer, I think. The gospel of the grace of God. Verse 24. Turn there, or or, turn your eyes there for a moment. I do not account my life, Paul says, of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It is somehow this gospel of grace, as we'll see, I think, that sits at the bottom as the ultimate reason for Paul's departure. Paul is going because somehow it is in the very nature of the gospel of grace to go. And for him to stay would be to miss the boat of grace or skip the tracks of mercy, or abort the mission of the gospel. It's going, so Paul's going. With this last phrase of verse 24 in Acts 20, now situated as the center of gravity for this sermon, I'll give you a real quick agenda for where we're headed here. I want to move from our text to a reflection upon the nature of this gospel of grace. If this is what's moving Paul, I want to say, why? What is it about the gospel? What's this gospel of grace like? And then secondly, after establishing that, I want to look at what this means for us. How can we be like Paul, grounded in this gospel and going with it as well? In other words, I don't just want this last phrase of verse 24 to be the center of gravity for this message. I want it to be the center of gravity for yours and my life. As it was for Paul. So, let's look at the nature of this gospel of grace. To try to make sense of it, I want us to see it as one gospel with two aspects. Okay, now hold, hang with me here. I'll try to try to make sense of this. I see it as one gospel composed of both a static aspect and a dynamic aspect. It's staying the same and yet it's moving. And it's 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 forceful, it's powerful. And I realize that that's a bit confusing because when you look up static in the thesaurus, the antonym is dynamic. So let me refine it a little further and hopefully it will start to make sense. The gospel of the grace of God is static in content and dynamic in intent. It's static in in the sense that it is a message. It's content. It's made up of words and sentences that do not change. It's dynamic in the sense that, we'll see, it's unfolding and it's moving and it's going after the world. It's unchanging and ever-changing. 
stable and explosive, eternal and global. Now, looking at each aspect in isolation, um, hopefully will help us make better sense of the nature of this gospel of grace that's moving Paul. I think when we consider the gospel, we typically think of what I mean by static and content. We typically think of it as, we know that in the Greek it means good news. We think of it as news, as a message about what Jesus has done historically for us, his people, right? On the cross especially. We think of it as what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that message of first importance that was handed to him and he's now handing it to us. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. This is the gospel content I'm talking about, and it does not change. Now, we see this um, in our text, and I'll just point it out briefly. Paul has this aspect in view when he says, I gotta go in verse 24 and testify to this gospel. I gotta speak this message. Or in verse 25, that I've got to proclaim this kingdom. These are words, this is news, I've got to give it to the world. And you could come at it another way, because in verses 29 and 30, you see that he's saying there's going to be wolves that rise up. And what are they going to do that's so terrible? What makes them wolves? They're going to twist this word that ought not to be twisted. They're going to distort the content that must always remain the same. And this is why Paul would say in Galatians, even if we or an angel from heaven were to come to you preaching a different gospel, let him be accursed. There is no other gospel. There's only one. And it doesn't change. It is an eternal gospel, Revelation 14.6 says. And what I take by that is, it's not even a gospel that's just for this side of heaven. It's a gospel that in the person of Jesus Christ passes into eternity. Because it's a gospel that's not inscribed on mere stone. It's inscribed on the very hands of our Savior. And you remember how John talks about Jesus when he sees him in glory in the book of Revelation? 5, 6. It says that he saw him as a lamb standing as though it had been slain. What does that mean? I think it means that this gospel, this work of redemption, that He procured for us on the cross, it will be the object of our praise forever. It is unchanging. It is eternal. And we will praise God for it forever. So the gospel is static in content. Now, dynamic in intent. As we move to reflect upon this dynamic aspect We could say that the gospel is not merely something that we write down in a gospel tract and hand away on the streets. It is that. But it also gets traction in the streets. And it moves through hearts and homes and nations and neighborhoods. And it's, 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 it's advancing. It's a force that we drop this fixed Message into the world like dynamite. It's dynamic in its intent. And if that's confusing, it's intention. It intends to go. We see the rumblings of this idea in our text there in Acts 20 when Paul says in verse 32, he's commending the elders to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to what? Build them up and give them the inheritance. Now what does that mean? Look closely with me here. This word of grace, this word of grace 
is the apparent subject of these verbs. Build, give. This static content message word is going to be active in these elders. Building them up, securing them, strengthening them, giving them the inheritance. There's a dynamic aspect to this message. Gospel's on the move in our lives and in this world. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time here, particularly because I think this helps answer my initial question. Why is Paul saying goodbye? So I think it's this dynamic aspect that comes into play uh, particularly here. But I want to begin with a more general statement. The gospel has always been as wide as God's heart. And God's heart is for the world. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. The world is in view. This gospel isn't just eternal, it is also global. It's for everyone, everywhere. And we can watch this global gospel unfold throughout the scriptures. We can, we can watch it on the move as it comes to Christ and moves beyond Him into our day. And I just want to show you a couple places for how that's happening. God has had his, his eye on the world even from the very beginning. When you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, what is the commission He gives to Adam and Eve, the people who He's made in His image, it says. It says He, he tells them to... Be fruitful, multiply, and what? Fill the earth. Now, putting some things together, when you consider that they're going to fill the earth with, with these children, with these people that are bearing his image, we gather that he's saying, fill this earth with my glory. I want people to see me everywhere. And that's his goal from the very beginning. But we know Adam and Eve don't even get out of the gate with this mission, right? You got the satanic intruder there in Genesis 3, the serpent. And there's rebellion against God and his plan for his creation. But God does not give up what we see. He does not give up his global program. He doesn't. In fact, he meets their mercy, or he meets their rebellion with mercy. He meets their sin with the very first gospel promise. I wonder if you noticed that in Genesis 3.15. It's what theologians often term the proto-gospel, the first gospel, indication of the gospel. And it's where God promises that from the seed of the woman... There will come one who will one day ultimately triumph over the serpent, over Satan, over sin, over death. Right there in Genesis 3.15. And it's important for us to ask, who is God making this promise to? It's not Abraham, the father of Israel. It's Adam, the father of humanity. This gospel is given to the father of humanity because God is coming after all of us with this Messiah. From the very beginning, this gospel is unfolding, it's dynamic, it's on the move, and it's coming for you and I. And you could keep tracing this. I've had to go quickly through even these two. But you could go through Noah, you could go through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all this. It's incredible. But we know that this promised offspring, this promised seed, ultimately finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And his triumph over Satan happens there at the cross where he dies for yours and my sin under the wrath of God. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises up 
And before his ascension, this brings us back into the book of Acts. Before his ascension, take a look at what he says in Acts 1.8 to his disciples. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is standing right in line with the mission of God to have this earth filled with His glory. And this essentially lays out the outline for the book of Acts. That Jesus would ascend and He'd pour out His Spirit in Acts 2. And you'd watch these men go in concentric circles geographically out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth when Paul reaches into Rome and beyond, perhaps even into Spain, they think. And it keeps going into our day, which is why this is an Acts 29 church. 28 chapters? Okay. We're the 29th. The Gospel has reached us and it will continue until everyone has heard. Until the end of the age, right? And the static and dynamic aspects of this Gospel, eternal and global, will converge at the consummation of the new heavens and new earth. Where around the Lamb standing as those slain will be men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation singing His praise. It's static. Don't you change the message. But it's dynamic. Don't you hold it back. <laughs> to help us get a hold of this, I have an image for you taken from Ezekiel's temple vision. I think this is perhaps even what God is trying to get at in this vision. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's, he's, he's writing from the perspective of exile after the first temple had been abandoned to um, the Babylonians. And all of a sudden, he's given this vision by God. Starting around in chapter 40, going to the end of the book. You don't have to turn there. I'll explain it because I'm just interested in this image. He's given this vision of a restored temple. And we become aware very soon that this is, that he's not just seeing a temple here. There's something symbolic, metaphorical going on. Because as he's being shown this vision of a restored temple, all of a sudden water starts to trickle out from beneath the threshold of the temple. And he starts to follow this water and measure it. And he goes, okay, I'm going out. And at this point, it's ankle deep. And then I'm, I'm, I'm following it further as it's flowing, and now it's knee-deep. And I'm, I'm going out further, and all of a sudden it's waist-deep. Until, he says in Ezekiel 47.5, that it becomes a river that could not be passed through. It's just too big. It's too mighty. Its rapids are too strong. You can't pass through it. Beyond this, it's incredible. What he sees is that everywhere this water goes, things are just coming to life. Even the Dead Sea with its salt-saturated waters, it says, all of a sudden starts teeming with life. It's made fresh. What's going on? So not only is it expanding and moving, but it's bringing life. And I'm saying that this image brings together for us the static and dynamic natures of our gospel. That from the fixed point of the temple, from the fixed point of the temple, which I would say represents the, the, the static content, because the gospel and all that Jesus accomplished at the cross fulfilled the, all that the temple stood for. He was the final high priest. 
He was the final lamb of sacrifice who could actually take away sins. And in his very person, he was the temple of God, the very presence of God with his people. So this temple, this fixed place, is our, is our static content. But from what Jesus did on the cross, his death, grave, resurrection, Torrents of grace are released into the world. And it's just going and flowing. And it's not stopping until it reaches the ends of the earth at the end of the age. And wonder of wonders, friends. These waters have even reached us today. This stuff coming forth from what God has done in Christ, this grace flowing, it's washing over us in this room. He's caught us, we who've trusted Christ. And so I want to ask here now, as we start to get more personal with what I've, what I've been looking at, what does it mean for us that this, that this gospel, that this river of God's grace has reached us? If this is the nature of the gospel, what does it mean that we've been brought to God through it? How should this affect us? Letting the image that I just developed serve us a little bit, I could tell you that it does not mean what we're not doing here this morning is coming to Jesus like a little drinking fountain in the, in the lunchroom take a few sips, feel a little better, and go home to your life. What this image does, what this gospel does when it really gets a hold of us, it's more like diving in. Wash me. Satisfy me. Bring life to my dead heart. Let the rivers of living water flow there. We're getting into the currents of His grace and we can't, we can't get out if we wanted to. We're being, we're being washed in Him and sent out with Him into this world. When we come to the divine person of Christ, we're brought into the divine mission. And that's what makes grace so dangerous, right? Because it's not just about me (laughs) and Him making me feel good and sending me home. He's calling me into this grander narrative and wanting me to be a part of what He's doing in the world. Because this grace... Sure, it's come for me, but it's not finished with me. It's not diffused on me. It's going for everybody else around. Your neighbors, Abu Dhabi, it's going for them. Christ died for them. You can't separate these aspects, and you see it there when uh, Jesus says in John 7:37 If anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water You get caught up in this current and it starts going through you <laughs> You're in the story now What does this flowing out look like, practically? If we're talking about not only coming to Jesus and trusting in the Gospel, but seeing that that trusting in the Gospel and being brought into Him brings us into His mission, what does that look like? I think it might be helpful, one lens we could could look at it through, is to go back to our story in Acts 20 with Paul. So what does it look like for him? Because we know, we know that Paul drank deeply of this grace. First Timothy 1, he talks about, you probably know the verse, I was a chief of sinners. I, I was a persecutor of the church. I was as bad as it gets. It doesn't get dirtier than me. 
But he says in 1 Timothy 1.14, But the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. He washed me. He brought life to me. And we're watching him in Acts 20 now as, it, as this grace overflows through him, from him. And what does it look like? What does it look like in our text? I think it looks like saying goodbye. It looks like leaving all earthly joys because of the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus and making Him known to other people. The grace overflowing through Paul, this gospel on the move, looks like Ephesian elders, I love you, but I gotta go. I gotta go. Because His grace isn't just for us here. It's for them. And I have counted my life as of no value to myself. Because I know the one of infinite value and I want them to know Him too. What we find then in this fallen world is that gospel advance is always accompanied by gospel goodbyes. This is, this is the story of the advancing gospel. You, you see the goodbyes in, in Abraham. I'm sorry, parents, I'm sorry, homeland, I gotta go. You see it in Noah. You see it in Paul. You see it even in Jesus, especially in Jesus, leaving the glory of His Father. Goodbye. I'm coming for your people down there, leaving behind the glory that I knew with you before the ages began. Gospel advance has always been accompanied by gospel goodbyes. And this, perhaps helping put together some emotional um, stuff even going on in this church, this mingles our joy with sorrow. This means that while we rejoice that the gospel is advancing through us and and through people like Steve, there's also this element on, on this side of heaven where because we're having to say goodbye, it's sad. Because we're having to leave things, it's sad. It's hard. It's not easy. But it's still a joy and it's still our call and it's still His grace that moves us forward glory so if God has called us under both his person and mission if this grace is not overflowing for us but is to overflow through us if he wants to advance his gospel God is committed to advancing his gospel through our lives and this advance happens by gospel goodbyes what I'm calling What's going on in your life, in my life? How is, how is God advancing the gospel through us? And where, perhaps, are we holding on to things of this earth saying, I don't want to say goodbye. I don't want to let it go. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, that dams up the flow of this grace. He wants it to move through, which means we say, all is lost for you, Jesus. I'll give you one example from my own life. Fortunately, I don't have time to give more illustrations than this. I'm at the table again in my living room, and I'm working on this sermon. And it's going well. I'm praying, I'm thinking, I'm writing. And then all of a sudden, my little girls wake up. They come downstairs and, and it goes well for a little while, but then inevitably, this is, this is, it always spirals out down to this. 
there's maybe like a Barbie doll in the mix or there's like a princess high heel or something. And, and the, one of them wants it, the other one has it, so there's like a headlock and there's rolling on the floor, right, in my living room. And so what once was the sanctity of my, my little devotional preparation for sermon time now is God wants me to advance the gospel with my family here, with my kids. His, his grace is moving me forward. Now, I want to approach them with love, but what happens? Quiet down, please. I can't think. <laughs> I'm trying to advance the gospel here, little ones. Leave me alone. God wants me to advance the gospel in my family at that moment. His grace is pushing me towards them. And I'm saying, no, 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 there's something I'm finding of more value than Jesus and his mission in that moment. And it's, what is this church that's now looking at me going to think of me? i got to have something really good. <laughs> I want success in ministry or whatever it might be. It starts to grab a hold of my heart. Jesus, I don't have time for advancing the, the gospel that way. I want it this way. And he's saying, my grace has overflowed for you. I'll cover all your sins. i got your back. I've given you new life, new identity. You don't need your sermon to get an identity. You have me. You have my grace. Let it overflow through you now for your kids. Gospel advance is always accompanied by gospel goodbyes. We let it all go for Jesus. Say, move through me in my family, in my neighborhood. People are going to look at me stupid. I've got to let go of what they think. I've got to say goodbye to bitterness. Sometimes I want to hold on to that. I've got to say goodbye to that and say, you know what? I want His grace to move through me to you. I don't know what it might be for you, but He's committed to advancing His gospel through us. Ask Him what it might be and Ask Him for the ability, the grace to let go and let it flow through you. It's a great joy. Now, I want to end this sermon in case you were worried we were going to keep going. Oh, you see that? Sorry about that. <laughs> let me end here. And this is it. I want to end this sermon where all of, of redemptive history is going to end. All of world history is going to end. Namely, in the new heavens and the new earth. Because if we trace this river of God's grace that's ushering forth, ushering forth from the work of Christ on the cross, if we trace this out, it goes through treacherous lands on the side of heaven. But as it moves, it gathers in its rapids men from every tribe, tongue, people, nation, until it finally cascades off the edge of eternity and into glory. And I'll tell you something. This is yours and my story. We are in this story. And it's moving towards this end. And what this means for us is that every gospel goodbye will one day give way to a heavenly hello. That means that if you've, if you've left community like Paul or, or Steve, if you've left community or friends or family for the sake of the advance of the gospel in this world, to want to see it take root in another people, at the end of the age, you will partake in the grand reunion of the saints around the throne. This means that if I let go of finding my identity in work or in peer approval or whatever others are thinking of me, if I let go of that for the sake of gospel advancement with my kids or my neighbors or wherever it is, that at the end of the age, in the new heavens, new earth, I will receive the crown of righteousness and hear from my Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy 
of your master. I will have his praise. And that will be infinitely better than the praise of man. We will not regret on that day anything that we said goodbye to for gospel advance. We will not wish we had stored up more in our barns down here. Instead, I think, as we stand in the presence of God and we think about all He has done in this incredible fulfillment of this gospel of grace, we will finally understand what Paul wrote to the Philippian church from his prison cell in Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ and to die is, finish it with me, gain. That's it. I'm done. Can I, can I pray for us? Please. Okay. God, we thank you. Even though it is hard, and grace is dangerous, and it changes our lives, sometimes in ways we didn't plan, when we step back and we think it is unbelievable that you would include us, not only in the accomplishments of Jesus on the cross and what he did there, but you include us in his ongoing work here today among one another in this city and in the world. More than anything, you want our hearts to be yours. That's why the greatest commandment in all the Bible is that we love you with all our heart, strength, mind, soul, everything we have. It's yours, Lord. We say goodbye to this earth not like Stoics, but we say goodbye because we see that in you there is far more pleasure, far more joy. This world can't even, can't even compare to it. So I pray you would come and minister to your people, your grace in this moment. You would, it would overflow for them and through them this week and uh, the rest of their lives. Thank you for this opportunity, Jesus. Be with us here the rest of the day. We pray. Amen. Thank you guys for your patience. That was very powerful. Thank you very much. So we wanted to take full advantage of this time with Nick and Megan. I wanted to ask them a couple of questions just so you can kind of get to know more about them, their background, that sort of thing. So really, thank you for that word. That was so, so encouraging. Let's thank him. Can we just thank him and say, that was really, man, it's good. Very encouraging. So. Nick, give us a, tell us a story about how, the, how you met the Lord. How did the Lord save you with that grace? Yeah. Um, some of you heard this yesterday um, when we met for lunch. Uh, i happily share again. Um, I was uh, raised Catholic, and uh, I would say it was, it was nominal Catholicism um, for sure, meaning that we, we went to church because we had to, not because we wanted to, you know. Um, and so for me, over time, uh, Jesus, Christianity started to have a, a leave a bad taste in my mouth. Just kind of watching hypocrisy and other things. Um, and so I, I remained interested in God throughout high school and things, but but never really considering Jesus. Um, I did some of the New Age stuff. Had some interesting experiences with meditation and other stuff. Um, and I went to college, still in that mindset, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, beautiful town. And uh, I thought, okay, wow, the whole door of, of earthly pleasure just threw open to me now. No, no longer mom and dad, uh, you know, with ball and chain on my heels. I'm ready to go. This is, this is going to be great. Um, at the time, I was really into music, wanting to be a rock star. Um, I had long 
bleached blonde hair and uh, was doing my best to, to capture that image. <laughs> Pretty, everyone just thought I was a backstreet boy. It was bad. Um, so I, I wanted to do music and my friend and I were planning to drop out of college. This was kind of the, the, the idol, if you will, if you're familiar with that sort of language, that sort of idea. This was the idol I was looking to build my identity around and find my joy in. It was, it was music. And God knows how to get in our hearts, so he goes right for that, right? So what happened with me, um, one day, it was spring of the, my first year there at Cal Poly, spring semester, um, I was singing, and it was like my voice just cracked. It was crazy. And it was just burning pain. Um, and I was really devastated because I was going to be singing and playing guitar and things. Obviously, I thought it was for my life. And I went to the doctor, and she's like, you know, I can't remember now how long, but it was somewhere along the lines of four weeks. You can't talk for four weeks. You just got to be quiet which for me was hard, and, uh, and we'll see where you're at at the end of that. So I thought, okay, I'm a driven guy. I'm not going to let go of my idol that easily. I'll just get better at guitar in the meantime. I can't talk to my dorm mates. I can't talk to any. I'll just get better at guitar. I'm, they're subpar skills at this point anyways. I'll learn to shred. So next day, kid you not, playing. My whole arm goes numb from the tips of my fingers to my shoulder. I'm just couldn't feel my left arm. I'm thinking, now I don't know what to do now because I don't play drum. I can't do something with my feet. Um, and I, it was at that point where I was brought to a sense of I am not in control of my life. I don't know who's in control, but I'm not. Now, overlaid, uh, overlaying that story, there was another uh, another thing going on, and that was in San Luis Obispo, there's an incredible crew or crusade, campus crusade ministry where in my dorms alone, there must have been 15 to 20 people, um, guys that were going for Bible studies and talking to me about Jesus. Okay, So this was happening at the same time as I'm kind of doing this. And um, God used those guys... And I, I did at times go to the Bible studies with them and engage and talk. God used this breaking down of my idol and, and this um, love from these guys speaking the truth to me. I saw that they actually believed this thing. And it, 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 those two things combined to just make me go, God, I don't even know exactly what this means, but take control of my life. And it was, um, it was amazing. I felt like a burden had been lifted from me that I didn't even know I was carrying. Just the weight of my rebellion and stubbornness that when you finally surrender, I was just like, what was that that just left? I don't know, but I feel amazing. I half expected to be able to sing and talk again. It didn't happen. Uh, I still had the problems, but my whole interior being, it was, I came to Christ, I drank, and his, his living water was starting to flow through me. And I hadn't looked back from that point. Um, it's awesome. So, Thank you. Megan, would you share with us your story? Sure, okay. Um, well, let's see. Um, when I was young, my fa- I was raised in, the, in Christian church, evangelical church. Um, uh, we went to Juana's every week, and um, it was a very, my family was very um, involved at church and very much um, you know, wanting the word to be spoken at home and taught at home and things like that. And um, so when I was eight years old, uh, the Lord drew me to himself and um, I accepted him into my heart, wanted him to control my life. Um, I, um, at that time, didn't exactly have a full understanding of what that meant and um, didn't really have too many examples in my life of what it looked like to walk with the Lord. And... um, and so when I was in high school, some really traumatic experiences happened with the church, and um, 
my entire family walked away from being part of a church. Um, I definitely would say that my family didn't intend to walk away from the Lord, but when you don't have community around you, and that's just kind of what happens. I was very um, hard against the idea of being a part of a church, um, and I quickly compromised my faith. Um, my idol of choice definitely was popularity and friends, and um, definitely got into a lot of partying and um, relationships and things like that. Um, and it wasn't until I was flat on my face, um, had been through some really abusive relationships, a series of them, and um, really had nowhere else to turn. And um, I just, it was amazing. I feel like every single person that came in my path spoke to me about the Lord and directly into that circumstance, this situation that I was in. And I was just going, what is going on? This is crazy. How do they know this? And um, it was just, it was amazing how the Lord uh, was so faithful to gently lead me to himself and to uh, remembering and, and knowing him rightly. The word became alive to me. And um, with a mustard seed of faith, I stepped through the doors of a church <laughs> again, and um, the Lord has richly blessed me. It's been it's been amazing how um, He has just taught me more and more about Himself, and I'm I'm so thankful. So uh, that's the basics of it, I think. So thank you. We celebrate God's grace in your life, definitely. Thanks for sharing that. Now, how did the two of you meet? Well, do. You- do you want to answer? You want me to? Oh, okay. Um, well, girls, I'll do better. <laughs> it's a relational question. <laughs> when, um, let's see. I, I was um, not walking with the Lord um, when I first started Cal Poly, um, and I had met Nick. I was um, a sophomore when he came in as a freshman. I had met him briefly there, and um, but it wasn't. I don't know until like maybe. Five, six years later, when um, I had stepped back through the doors of Calvary Chapel, San Luis Obispo, he was the intern there, and we talked briefly there. It's a very long story, but pretty amazing um, how the Lord um, brought us together. It still, after that, was more of a process. We didn't really get to know each other that much um, until a few years later, but we it was just a very slow, gradual process, and the Lord really... Um, cared um, immensely for me through that process, especially from coming from some abusive relationships before. It was just, it's very amazing. So if you have, if you want to know ever, I mean, it's <laughs> definitely glory to the Lord. So. Amen. Tell us about your girls. Um, they are, they're just amazing little ladies. <laughs> I mean, I think so. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, Chloe is three years old. Um, she is spunky. She wants to play. Um, I think the first thing she probably would do walking through one of the, the doors of the children's classrooms um, would be, oh, my goodness, my friends. And, uh, <laughs> she definitely loves people. Um, and, um, yeah, just a lot of fun. My little Bella is a year and a half. And she um, she's a little more timid, but she is so sweet, wants to cuddle. She's a little snuggle bug. And... Um, yeah, they're just a lot of fun. We we enjoy hanging out with them and, and doing things with them. So, Thank you. Nick, tell us one, one more question. How did you get called into the ministry? Yeah. Um, well, like I kind of building off the testimony, something something shifted big time in inside of me, and uh, I was in the process of learning even what what it was, what is going on. Like God is just kind of moving and being gracious. I mean, there's so much remaining sin in us, and he's still, to this day, showing us things. But it was kind of that process, and I was finding this new appetite, just, I mean, uh, insatiable appetite for his word. Um, And at the time, I thought it was just normal. I thought this is what Christians, all Christians, should experience. Uh, they should all want to listen to sermons for like four hours a day and, and journal for, you know, four hours after that. And um, But I, I slowly began realizing through people that bought, when walking with the Lord longer than me that perhaps something, everybody, every Christian is to love the, the Word and to live by the His Word alone, right? And not bread. But, um, but 
there was perhaps a unique call that was starting to become apparent in in my life. Um, And so that was started to be um, something that people around me were affirming in the church, and I got opportunities more and more to lead, whether it was Bible studies or um, even eventually, you know, preach some sermons at our church, and then I was able to do the college ministry and, and preach on a weekly basis and things. And I just, all of that continued to be very, very affirming in terms of seeing fruit um, and the continued desire and passion for that. So um, looking at, at where my place would be in the body as, a, as um, everyone's using their gifts, I just thought that that, that seemed to be where God was, was leading me. Um, so, Amen. And we've been the recipients of some of that this morning, so thank you. Thank you, Father, for the rich worship this morning, for the time to celebrate your death with communion, for the preaching of your word, and for this chance to get to know Nick and Megan. And Lord, we just pray for your wisdom leading them, leading us. We lay all of this at your feet. We want your will more than anything. So would you lead and guide clearly, Lord, we pray. And do a mighty work now, Lord, through this lunch. So that there could be lots of connections, lots of getting to know, lots of questions asked and answered, and that there'd be more wisdom given in this whole process. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.